Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North on this Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. Yes, May is upon us and it has been pouring rain for like the last five days anywhere I've been and that includes different cities. I was told there'd be May flowers uh, I'm still kind of getting the lingering of the April showers, but you know, it is not a May blizzard, so I guess I shouldn't complain too, too much. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend and start of the week, whatever it is you were doing. Uh, been Busy, busy time for news, but I, I just want to uh, talk about my interview on Friday show with Candace Malcolm, the founder and editor-in-chief of True North. Uh, you were all, barring a couple of meanies, but we always get a few of you on our comment section, you were all so delighted to see her. And she was very moved and very pleased that you were all so excited about that. And as she said in the interview, she'll be uh, coming back before you know it. But it was nice to uh, see Candace. Uh, the downside of working in a remote, well, the upside, I should say, of working in a remote environment, which uh, True North is, is that we don't actually get to see our colleagues all that much in person, uh, which is, I guess, sometimes good for my colleagues because they don't have to see me. But uh, the downside is that we don't actually get the camaraderie that all happens when we're in the same city. So I was glad we had, uh, as it was discussed last week, a bit of an opportunity to gather together. And I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you what happened at the True North retreat? I mean, I wasn't even going to say there was a True North retreat, but Candace spilled the beans on that one. We had this one team building activity that was a an amazing race style scavenger hunt of sorts, which was kind of fun. And we were all put on teams. And I, but someone is telling me to not say anything about this. Uh, but I think he only doesn't want me to say it because he lost and my team won. Uh, so, uh, you know what? <laughs> sucks to be you, Phil, and sucks to be you, Sean, because uh, Team Andrew Lawton won the grand prize. And uh, that's why you don't want me to reveal it. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm being accused by my own uh, colleague of cheating now. They don't believe that it was a uh, well-earned victory and a hard-won victory. But it was. We do not stoop to cheating on the Andrew Lawton show. And, and Rachel Emanuel, who we'll talk to on this show, a True North Alberta correspondent, she was also on the winning team. So we'll have a bit of a victory lap, I guess, on this show. Please don't uh, pull the feed of this show, people who lost, because you have the power to do that right now. In any way, in any case, we will uh, talk this program in just a few moments' time about the Alberta election. We are now in the midst of the campaign, and Rachel Notley is always, always, always going to her bag of tricks of just accusing everyone else of being extremists. So uh, no surprise there, but it's amazing how brazen they are about it. Uh, the big story I was going to talk about today was the federal government's renewed call for uh, firearms bans, uh, the ban on what they call assault-style firearms. Uh, they have tried to do this once again, and we are going to talk about that in a bit of depth tomorrow, because today I wanted to speak to Harold Jonker, who is a man that may be very familiar to many of you. He was a mainstay, I think, in the Freedom Convoy protest last year in Ottawa. He's also had his run-ins in his uh, town of, I think, West Lincoln, uh, when a lot of people didn't like that he took a stand for freedom. And now, 14 and a half months after the Freedom Convoy packed up and left Ottawa, he is facing four criminal charges. 
for his role in this protest. Here's a clip of Harold Jonker after he checked in with the police in his area of Niagara region and learned what he was being charged with. Harold Jonker here, and I just came out of the uh, Niagara Police Station. I've been uh, officially charged with four counts of criminal charges, one count of mischief, obstruct property, one count of intimidation by blocking or, uh, or obstructing highway, and then two counts of counsel, counsel and uncommittable, no, sorry, counsel and uncommitted indictable offense, whatever that means. We'll find out when we go to Ottawa, I imagine. And as indicated there, a Herald has to go to Ottawa on May 10th, I believe it is. So in just over a week's time. But we are now 14 and a half months after the Freedom Convoy ended. And the Ottawa police are still hunting people down and charging them. Here is a clip of former interim police chief Steve Bell warning about this exact thing. And it's a shame we didn't take him seriously. Uh, Eric Ibrahim, the Canadian Press. Um, I'm wondering uh, what your message is to protesters and Canadians more broadly who might be upset and angry with uh, images uh, being published of police hitting protesters with batons and other types of force. Um, there are images of some people um, or some police striking crowd members with batons who were retreating and not being aggressive toward them. There were media in the crowds that, that have witnessed and reported on this. I'm wondering what you would say to, um, to those who may be concerned by that. As I indicated earlier, we will have the opportunity to review all of those files. There are complaint mechanisms for people to enter into if they feel that there is excessive use of force uh, by members of the, our police service. What I will also say is we have been here for three weeks. I have been at this podium for the last five days imploring people to leave asking them to get out of our streets. This occupation is over. We have advised them that if they peacefully leave, they may go home. That still exists. We also indicated that we would escalate and forcefully remove people from the streets if they did not comply. Some of that is what you're seeing. So I will stand here today again and say, this demonstration is over. Go home. If you don't go home, we will remove you from the streets. So that, uh, I apologize for that, was not the uh, the right clip. That was uh, my bad there. The, the one that we were looking for, he talks about how people who go home may still be hunted down and tracked down by Ottawa police and have financial sanctions put on them and be charged after the fact. So the Ottawa police back in February of 2022 were already promising to continue this little hunt. And it's very similar to what you've seen in the U.S. where the uh, process is the punishment when it comes to people who had even peripheral roles in the January 6th incident, which I, I don't even like talking about in the same breath as the Freedom Convoy because they were very different things. But now we have Harold Jonker, uh, formerly of the uh, Freedom Convoy as a supporter, as a member, now facing criminal charges 14 and a half months later. We have uh, Harold joining us now, I believe, from his truck, which is quite fitting given what we're discussing here. Harold, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I hope I have enough good enough service here out in Missoula. 
No, maybe it is Bill C-11 that we're uh, grappling with here. Uh, I believe we might be able to try getting him on with audio only, uh, which, uh, I mean, you've already seen his uh, beautiful face in his truck there, so it might make for a bit of a cleaner connection. We'll uh, get that sorted out, and I uh, apologize for the issues, and, and thank you for your patience. But to go back to those charges, two counts of counseling an uncommitted indictable offense of mischief, one count of mischief obstructing property, and one count of intimidation by blocking or obstructing highway. So, so these are relatively serious offenses. All of them are coming out of the uh, criminal code. And when I, I bring that up, I mean, these are things that follow people. And, and I don't know, and maybe we'll get a chance to, to talk to Harold about this if the connection sorts out, if he needs to go across the border for, for his trucking once the, uh, you know, the vaccine mandate lifts. And if so, with having criminal charges uh, can, can get in the way of that. Uh, I'm crossing my fingers here. Harold, do we, uh, do we have you now? Yeah, I hear you good there now. So hopefully okay. it stays good. Um, Perfect. Yeah, maybe maybe the a, connection just it, didn't it like did my, my question. A, that surprise. <laughs> yeah. No, carry on. Yeah. Um, it came as a surprise, but not as a shock, right? Because like you said, you were going to sh show that clip um, from the Ottawa chief there. Mm -hmm. And so it came as a surprise that 14 months later, they're still doing this. And... We'll see. I'm very thankful the uh, the JCCF um, has been willing to um, take my case on. Um, they're helping me with a few other lawsuits that we were named in. So, yeah, we're going to be busy with, with lawyers for a while. So um, May 10th, i got to turn myself in, and we'll see what happens. Um, the Lord willing, the truth prevails. It always does. It just sometimes takes a long time. So... You know, I, I mentioned earlier, and I, I didn't mean to downplay your, your role in this, because I, I know a lot of people speak very favorably of you. I know you were interviewed in, in my colleague uh, Rachel Emanuel's documentary about the convoy, the, the freedom occupation, but you were never one of the most high-profile front and center people in this. You weren't the one that was on TV doing the press conferences. You weren't the one handling the money. So why do you think you're being targeted? Uh, that's a good question. Like what um, one of the other leaders said, too, it's like... Um, you know, I, 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 why are they going after a father of 13? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've a grandfather, uh, I got one granddaughter and, 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 and yeah, like why me out of everybody that was there? So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. You're definitely scratching your head, but at the same time, I was, um, I was Niagara's captain going in and it was, um, so yeah, interesting. Definitely everybody's scratching their head. Now, are you nervous about, and again, I don't know the nature of, of your trucking business, so perhaps you could elaborate on that, but are you nervous about the effect that these charges could have on your ability to do your work? Yeah, um, that's where the, the greatest concern is. I, I, um, I, I don't think, um, well, I know I'm not guilty, that's one thing, but to see where it ends up, if I do have criminal charges against me, and I, I and and that sticks, then I don't think I'll be able to cross the border. I that's gonna suck. I don't need to per se. I got other work that I can keep busy with in the office, but I do enjoy what I'm doing, and that's trucking across the continent and enjoying that part of the job. So there's some concern there, but at the same time, no, I'm not concerned. Um, you know, the truth, like I said earlier, the truth will prevail, and and I don't. Uh, you never know where it goes, right? But um, hopefully we, we can show to the judge the, and the courts there that 
we're not guilty and continue on in our life of, of traveling of this continent into the U.S. as as much as I do and crossing Canada as much as I do. So, um, yeah, if if I do get charged, we'll we'll have to adjust life somewhat, but not too worried. Uh, right now, you're you're coming across as I'd say quite nonchalant about it. I, I know in that video, uh, the full version that I played the clip from earlier, you were cracking jokes about being a you know a mischievous person. So, how do you take this and not be angry? How do you take this and and not be upset about this? I mean, how do you just let this roll off your back as uh, well as you seem to be doing? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Um, I, my, my, my Christian background, I, um, I, I'm comforted in the fact that we, we are called to speak the truth, and, and after that, it's not up to us so we're that that does give me the greatest comfort that that anybody can receive you know we were called to to do the best we can and after that we we need to leave it in 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 the good lord's hand and that's where it is with me i i'm confident that the lord has a plan what it exactly is we'll find out and yeah it's uh it, it might be interesting where it goes but Life is supposed to be interesting, so looking forward to, to whatever the Lord decides to do with me. Uh, now, you mentioned that the uh, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is, is taking up your case, and I, I should just disclose to my audience, as I do whenever I bring up the, the JCCF, that I, I am on the board of that organization, but that has no bearing on uh, me doing this interview. Uh, but I will say that the one thing we've seen in a lot of the cases that came up in the convoy, uh, a lot of the criminal cases, that they've been quietly dropped. We've seen over the, the last 14 months, uh, in, in several instances of the Crown, just withdraw charges or decide not to proceed with them. And, and I do find it just baffling that they're still adding new charges when they've already decided that many of the previous people they've charged were not worth prosecuting. Yeah, that's where when I talk to a, a few of uh, the people that I trust in my life that I've met since... Um well, in the last year and a half, that's the same thing. They're 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 all strack, strack, scratching their heads, going, "Why now? And and why you?" And yeah, it is um, something that uh, is interesting, but definitely thankful for the uh, the work that a, a bunch of uh, lawyers are doing and are willing to do. And what the JCCF is doing has been um, it's been great. It's it's um, and and that gives you that. Um, that comfort right we're, we're not alone there's people out here that are willing to help and i've been humbled by the amount of uh, support i've been receiving from people across canada people all uh, praying for me people frustrated and angry and all kinds of emotions that you're you're and and you're feeling them yourselves as well right uh, and that's what's been so so beautiful about being where i am today is is this country has a lot of great people and they're um they're they're willing to help where they can and that's that's part of my comfort as well i i'm not going to be facing this alone um i've been blessed with a wife for 25 years and she she crackingly uh, said a joke that that um yeah if you end up in jail then um yeah you're you're uh 
whatever. I, I can't really say it on online, right? But it was. I, I think I know what the joke was, and you're uh, you're a wise man to not repeat it. But uh, uh, Harold, I, I'm so glad you're you're taking this in stride. I'm so end. glad you you have through. that uh, background yeah. and faith to to guide you through this. And uh, I'm very grateful yeah. uh, that we we got that connection working because it was a delight to talk to you, and, and we wish you well in this. Yes, stay in touch. Thanks, Andrew. And All right. I haven't been able to read your book yet, but someday when my emotions have the energy to do it, I'll, I look forward to going through that. It's sitting on my uh, my counter, and uh, it, it's going to have to be read sometime. But Well, that's kind of you to say, and I think it's also an audiobook, so if you want to listen to it on your drives, it uh, it is available to you. But I, I appreciate that very much, sir. All right, thank you. All right, All thank you. That was uh, Harold Jonker in, in true trucker fashion joining us from the road. Glad he uh, was able to spend a, a bit of his break with us. And, and again, I, I thank you for your patience through that first uh, little bit of technical glitches, but it all resolved itself, which often isn't the case. So we are, are very grateful for that. But I, I will just say on, on this, I mean, the, the Freedom Convoy was a pivotal moment in Canada. And I, I had decided maybe about a month ago, a month and a half ago, not long after the a report from the Public Order Emergency Commission came out that I was done talking about it. And I, and I don't mean that in the sense that I was tired of it, but I covered it. I spoke about it for months after. I wrote a book about it. I did interviews about it. I, I covered the Public Order Emergency Commission. And after the commission's report came, I, I did a post-mortem and a recap of it. And I, I basically said, I, I have nothing more to say about this. I have, I have nothing more to add about this. And I, I had sort of said that, well, not sort of, I mean, internally, I, I mentioned to myself, I converse with myself often because other people don't like speaking to me. So I, I take what I can get, that I didn't have, as much to add and I've had to amend that because when the government is still charging people the government is still going after people talk about kicking you when you're down and it, and it was very much akin to in my mind when Donald Trump is on his way out of the White House the transition is happening in I don't know five days and the Democrats decide they want to impeach him just because they they I mean Mark Stein when he covered the impeachment talked about it as though uh, as being like when they dug up Oliver Cromwell and executed him posthumously just to make sure he was really, really dead. The Freedom Convoy is over. It's not a thing. The Freedom Movement exists. And I can only surmise from this that the government is just so tired of people standing up for freedom, it wants to continue to go after them in this way. So I, I revoke my previous pledge to stop talking about this when the government is still prosecuting and persecuting people uh, months after more than a year after the protest uh, disbanded. And uh, it's a shame that we did not take more seriously the call from the Ottawa Police Service that they were just going to keep hunting things down and all the like. And I just kind of, as we talk about this, the United States, which is, you know, the land of liberty, the land of the free and all that jazz, uh, a load of crap many, many times. The U.S. still, as of this day, has its cross-border vaccine mandate in effect. Now, finally, we have gotten confirmation from the White House that they are going to stop with the vaccine mandate to enter the country as of May 11th. Now, this has been one of the most ridiculous things to keep on the books as this goes on. And I bring this up for two reasons. Number one, because it's always been a, a porous border, as we've seen, where people who go across by land, even though they technically need to be vaccinated, have generally been able to go in without having too much in the way of questions. 
And moreover, let's say you were the first to get vaccinated in, oh, January of 2021. And three weeks later, you got your second dose in January of 2021. And you have now been fully vaccinated for over two years, which no one would tell you gives you any immunity whatsoever uh, at this point. Uh, even the most like ardent pro-vax people will say that your vaccination immunity wanes after considerably less time than two years and three months. So the idea that this is a useful metric and a useful qualification and categorization for people entering a country is absolutely absurd. But the U.S. has been clinging to this, forcing people to hand over their proof of vaccination to get on a plane to if they want to go to Florida or something. And the fact that it's taken until May of 2023, when even far less free countries have done away with this, is absurd. And I think it's exactly why the convoy existed. And it is an absolute shame. And I, I mean, too little, too late. But you know what? It's good that it's ending, at least. I want to turn back to Canadian politics and specifically in Alberta, where an election is once again underway. It's been a bit of a tumultuous time in Alberta politics. Jason Kenney was defenestrated by the members of the United Conservative Party, uh, largely, I think, but not exclusively because of the wake of the Freedom Convoy, which claimed more political casualties on the right than it did on the left, like Aaron O'Toole and then Jason Kenney. And you had rising from the UCP leadership race, Danielle Smith, in one of the most stunning political comebacks in Canadian history. She went from being a, a pre premier and waiting to a pariah to now the premier seeking re-election. I, I think the polls are generally favorable, but not in a manner that is a slam dunk. So let's get the details on what's happening in the weeks ahead with True North's own Alberta correspondent, Rachel Emanuel. Uh, Rachel, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on and thank you for contributing to the winning team at last week's True North retreat. Absolutely. I mean, there's still a couple photos that we haven't taken and I'm hoping to get them still, but we'll have to take our win for now. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a photo. I, it was a photo scavenger hunt. So there are like, you know, 19 unflattering selfies of Rachel and me and our other teammate. But you know what? We got the win. So it all works out well. Uh, let's talk about Al Alberta politics here. And you know, the, the big theme that's been coming out of this race is that it's going to be decided in Calgary. I think it tends to be the case that people view Edmonton as going to the NDP, rural Alberta as going to the UCP, and, and Calgary being the battleground that will really decide it. Is that, in your view, a pretty accurate assessment, or is it a, an oversimplification here? That's a very accurate assessment, especially for this election. I would say I think one of the things that we can observe is that both Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley decided to kick off their campaigns in Calgary as it has viewed as the battleground. As well, I've spoken to the UCP about their plan for the campaign and all my sources are telling me you're going to want to be in Calgary. Most of the events are going to be here. There's going to be a couple in Lethbridge and they said a couple in Edmonton as well, but not very many. So the UCP is certainly focusing their efforts in Calgary and the NDP will be as well because that's going to be where the election is decided. So how do you win in Calgary? I mean, I don't know if there's one simple roadmap, but but like a lot of people outside of Alberta think as Alberta think of Alberta as being the conservative place, but it's a suburban environment, it's partly urban, there are some more rural aspects here. Is there like a, a quintessential Calgary voter that they can go after? 
Yeah, and I guess one of the other things that you have to think about when we're looking at Calgary is the demographics are now changing. We have thousands of voters who are flooding in from outside of the province. Interprovincial immigration in the province has never been so high. And most of those people are going to Calgary. So the parties might be looking at their tactics a little bit differently than they have in the past. I think when we look at what the parties need to do to appeal to voters here, they're really looking at the big bread and butter issues of the election campaign, so to speak. So one of the ones on everyone's mind is health care. The COVID-19 pandemic proved that our health care system is a disaster. Maybe public health care isn't as great as we think it is. That's a conversation for another time. But what we do know is that provinces are realizing they have a big crisis on their hands and they need to work on it here in Alberta, like in other provinces, but especially here, we have a big problem with not having enough family doctors. So Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has made some work in her first couple months as Premier to reattract more doctors to the province and to reinvest in the healthcare system. And Rachel Nolly is going to be making claims about her promises to bolster healthcare in the, pro- in the province as well. She's also been saying things like Danielle Smith wants to privatize healthcare. The left loves to make this claim about conservative. It, they think it's going to be a sticking point for the election. Another big thing that we're going to be looking at is simply just the cost of living crisis. Every Everything costs so much right now with the runaway inflation that we're experiencing and people are having a really hard time getting by. So we can expect to see the parties making pitches as to how they're going to help put more money back in Albertans pockets. It doesn't look like any of the parties are promising to cut government spending right now. That doesn't seem like a very popular trend at the moment. Um, so we're seeing ways that they can directly put money back into taxpayers pockets. One of the things we're seeing is taxpayer spending cuts. Danielle Smith had a big announcement to that effect yesterday. It was one of her big campaign pitches. And then, of course, another one that we can expect to see is education. People want to see more investing in education. And finally, public safety. We are in a public safety crisis, and Calgary is absolutely feeling the effects of that. Anecdotally, it seems like you're hearing about someone getting stabbed in the city almost every day, but the data matches those numbers with a significant spike in crime since just last year, and especially since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. We know now that Rachel Notley has also committed to hiring more police officers if she's elected premier on May 29th. Meanwhile, Danielle Smith has already worked on hiring more police officers in her tenure as premier, and she's looking at tackling the root issue, which one of is bail bail reform. We know that the Alberta government kind of has its hands tied behind the back as that is mostly a federal issue, and certainly they've been applying pressure on the federal government to get that bail reform in, as it's often repeat offenders that are committing these violent crimes on the streets. And then, of course, the addictions crisis This is another thing that Daniel Smith's government has been looking at more so than I think any other province. They're really targeting treatment and they say we're going to target treatment, but we're not going to put people at risk in the meanwhile. We're also going to hire more police officers, especially along those transit centers where a lot of those really violent crimes are happening. And something that somebody in the premier's office said to me this week is it's such a hot issue right now because everyday people who have used transit every single day of their lives to get to work, to get to school, are now rethinking it. And when they do go out and use the transit, there's someone there who is homeless, who is kind of acting in an aggressive manner towards them. Maybe they've witnessed a a criminal activity happen. And so this is something for those people living in Calgary that they are really thinking about and they're concerned about. So that's going to be a huge issue for the election.
Uh, let's talk about the, the health care issue specifically, because I, I know that accusing conservatives of wanting to privatize health care is like something that happens in any election, regardless of, of whether the conservative has ever said that. Now, in Danielle Smith's case, she has talked about a lot of bolder ideas for health care. I know the one that came up during the leadership race was this health care spending account. So basically putting dollars in the hands of Alberta residents and letting them be a lot more selective about which care they access. H- has any of that translated into UCP policy? or the UCP platform yet? Like, has there been anything bold she's come out with on healthcare or is it just this public health guarantee that she has on her website, which basically says, no, we're not privatizing things? I think that currently what we're seeing from the UCP is a bit of damage control on some of the attacks that Rachel Notley has made against Danielle Smith's previous comments when she wasn't premier on healthcare. You know, as you mentioned, she's been a radio host, so she's said a lot of things. She's made a lot of comments, discussed a lot of ideas. The NDP are now dragging those out, and I'm sure we're going to be able to see that throughout the whole election. They're going to be dragging out a laundry list of ideas and policies she's discussed in the past to use that to attack her. So right now we're seeing the UCP just be very straightforward and say that they are committed and they're not going to privatize health care and you're not going to have to pay to see your family doctor. That's a big attack right now. But Danielle Smith was actually asked about her specific policy of a health spending account yesterday. The UCP War Room are doing these little videos with the Premier every night where Albertans can send in their questions. And she was asked about a health spending account and she says it is still something that she's interested in. And if her government is reelected, she would look at implementing it. I don't know if we can expect to see a formal policy being tried out during the campaign just because it has led to some negative publicity and maybe just even a mischaracterization of what that policy really is so i would be surprised if we see her sort of bring that forward as an official ucp policy but she still seems to be committed to the idea and you know certainly for anyone who's ever had a health spending account it's a really great policy and it's something that you can use very successfully however if you're not really familiar with what it is i can see how it could be mischaracterized I just want to play a clip from Rachel Notley and get your take on it here. This is Rachel Notley outlining what I think is probably going to be the major narrative of the campaign. Let's take a look. You also know Danielle Smith, and you know that she will tell you what she thinks you want to hear. And then she will go ahead and she will do whatever she wants. Privatize your health care, gamble with your pensions, pander to extremists will lead a government that takes phone calls from nurses, not extremists. We won't make seniors pay more for medical exams. We'll cover more of their medications and yes, their vaccinations, because we believe in science and evidence, not conspiracies. And my friends, we will not, we will not make women pay for reproductive health care. We'll cover the cost of contraception for free. So we see all the usual tricks there. Uh, Rachel Notley bringing up the abortion question, even though Danielle Smith is quite socially progressive and uh, more importantly, uh, accusing Danielle Smith of picking up the phone for extremists and not for nurses. So that's the big line here. Rachel Notley says that uh, when a nurse calls, she'll answer it, but when an extremist calls, she won't. So uh, really the NDP is digging into this idea that Danielle Smith is an extremist or that she's surrounded by extremists. And uh, is this basically going to be the entire campaign? 
I think it's going to be the campaign. I think it's going to be a very dirty campaign where we see a lot of personal attacks being made against the leader. It doesn't help, as I mentioned, that Danielle Smith had so much time as a radio host and discussed so many ideas. You know, I think that's actually what led to her winning the UCP leadership race. She really earned back people's trust during her time as a radio host and her willingness to discuss sometimes controversial issues really led people to admire her and to respect her. That was something I heard around the province when she was campaigning to be the leader of the United Conservative Party. However, now the NDP has this huge backlog of things they can lo log against the Premier to sort of try to attack her and discredit her. So I think it's going to get very personal. I think we can expect to see a lot more of these types of complaints from the NDP. That being said, they also have their own record to run against. So that's certainly something interesting to look at here. It's not like they haven't governed before. And certainly they were responsible for many unpopular policies. And so the UCP can very effectively point out Rachel Knott own record as a former premier. I, I, I don't put too much stock in, in polling, but I admit it's tempting to get drawn into the horse race uh, sort of stuff here. Uh, as far as the polls go, have there been any that have showed the NDP as within arm's reach of a victory, or is it looking fairly certainly like a UCP victory with everything so far? It's looking pretty fairly certainly like a UC victory right now. They are ahead by a couple points. Some of the polls I just saw come out in the last day or two, I think, showed them a little bit closer. Maybe the NDP a little bit pulling ahead in Calgary, but that's just some polls. But I also find that Alberta is very difficult to pin down when it comes to polling. We know that in the last election won by former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, the polls actually showed him about 10% behind of the support he actually ended up receiving. Now, of course, Kenney was viewed as someone who was quite a bit more moderate than Smith is viewed at, you know, correctly or incorrectly so. But it is interesting just that the polls were so off in the last election. And I am really interested to see how things are going to play out this time around. And just for people who aren't from Alberta or aren't as familiar with the politics, like there are no other parties that are contenders here for even winning seats, are there? No, we have a host of other parties, lots of different little conservative spinoff parties and independence parties, but they've all really struggled to gain any momentum. I think that Daniel Smith is so popular with the really conservative base in a way that Jason Kenney just wasn't, mm -hmm. and in a way that a lot of conservative leaders aren't. A lot of conservative leaders kind of ignore the further right crowd in turn for a more mainstream route. They're trying to appeal to those moderates. And obviously, while Daniel Smith is appealing to those moderates now in the official general election campaign during the United conservative party leadership race she appealed to those who are really far to the right those that are socially conservative those that are very you know faith-based and the libertarians that often get left to the side and ignored by other contenders and so she still has most of their support of course you know you're going to lose a little bit of support to the independence party and stuff but they've also had their own fair share of issues they just recently got rid of their former leader that was archer Pulowski, and so they're kind of bleeding support right now and when i talked to the party board they said yeah we know we're not going to do very well in this election we don't even have a leader headed into things so it's not going to be a good showing for us this time around but we're going to rebuild and come back stronger after this and then on the left you have the the alberta liberal party the alberta party but they're basically non-entities right now no, it's been very interesting how the NDP have really been able to capture the left as a whole in the province. You know, it makes things maybe a little bit more difficult for the Alberta, though it is traditionally a much more conservative province than elsewhere where we see in Canada. We're not going to expect to see the NDP picking up too many seats outside of, you know, downtown in the immediate Calgary area, as well as Edmonton. Then maybe a few other seats, they usually pull some in Lethbridge. But they've really been able to capture that left-wing vote in a way that other parties just haven't been able to break into.
So uh, just before I let you go, Rachel, how are you going to be covering this? What are you looking out for? I'm looking for some of those main bed and butter issues that I think most people are going to be really following. Public safety, for example, I'm really curious to hear. I know the NDP have been avoiding talking about it, but they obviously, for a time when they were governed, were very for, you know, safe injection sites. And so I'm curious if those are still policies that we can expect to see them pushing forward. They don't want to talk about it right now. I know they're going to get asked about it at some point. So I'm curious to hear what they have to say about that. And then with Danielle Smith, you know, I'm going to keep a close eye on how much government money she is promising away she just promised a new calgary arena that was a really great deal for the party that they announced but that's about 330 million dollars worth of provincial spending of course very popular in calgary but it is a lot of government we're looking at and alberta still has a large deficit to pay off so i'm curious to see how they're going to be appealing to those moderate voters and especially in danielle's case appealing to those moderate voters while still making sure that she doesn't turn her back on her base because they will notice and they will not accept it all right. Well, we'll uh, definitely have you back on and keep an eye out for your coverage, which will be at TNC.news and also every Saturday on the Alberta Roundup. And I also mentioned earlier, uh, Harold Jonker was in uh, Rachel's and her brother's fabulous documentary with True North Distributed, and I was also in it. So that might be why I think it's fabulous. Uh, that is The Freedom Occupation, which uh, Rachel did a bang-up job with, and it uh, ties into the first topic. So we all bring it uh, together, and I guess this episode all roads lead to Rachel. Rachel. So uh, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that does it for us for today. I just want to give a, a little bit of a gloss over because we talked last week about the PSAC strike, the, the big public worker strike. And this is when I get to do a bit of a victory lap because we saw that the government ultimately folded here. They, they gave the public sector workers uh, a huge rage, 3% huge rage, I think I said, raise, raise with a, an S, uh, 3% a year over four years, so 12% raise total. Absolutely astronomical, especially compared to what workers in the private sector typically get over that time, which is oftentimes bupkis. But uh, here is um, Franco Terrazano and I last week kind of predicting that this is where things were headed. I know that Mona Fortier, the Treasury Board president, has said that she wants an open dialogue and all of this stuff. And, and you know, she says the union has given 500 and some odd uh, demands. And of those, you know, a few are those core sort of critical ones. Do you think the government folds here? <laughs> well, I'm not at the negotiating table and I don't have a crystal ball. But let me just point out the obvious. The only way that these union negotiators can even go to the table with these types of outrageous demands is because you have a government that doesn't care about reigning in spending that has been so frivolous for so long and has no plan to actually exercise restraint. Yep, Franco called that a government with no plans to exercise restraint, which is why we shouldn't be all that surprised that they uh, give the union pretty much everything they want and try to claim like they kept the unreasonable demands at bay. So uh, public sector workers decide they don't want to work. They do all of these convoy-esque tactics and somehow don't get the Emergencies Act. But you know what? In their case, they get what they want because the government doesn't actually care about the taxpayers and about anything resembling fiscal restraint. So I uh, can't say it is newsworthy. In fact, it's so unnewsworthy, we popped it in the back of the show. I uh, hate to say I told you so, but there we are. So uh, that does it for us. We will be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. We'll do a deep dive into the firearms regime, the liberal government's second swing at major sweeping gun control, and lots more as the week progresses. So we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. 
Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.